Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello, my name is Jerry Scullion and welcome to Bringing Design Closer, which is part of This Is HCD. I'm a service design practitioner and trainer based in Dublin City, Ireland. Today in the show, we caught up with Doug Powell, who's an award-winning designer with more than 30 years experience in a wide range of design disciplines and is currently the Vice President of Design at IBM in Austin, Texas. We speak in great detail around what IBM looked like around Doug's arrival and what things that they did over the last six years to enable design centricity to occur inside Big Blue. We go into the ROI of design to help us all better understand how they enable the conversation at the leadership level to hire 1,500 designers across the organisation and the globe. Doug speaks about the incredible leadership team uh, that really championed design centricity at IBM, something that we all know is one of, if not the most important pieces in enabling any transformations to occur. We cover off lots of other little areas in the conversation. I really enjoyed it, so let's get straight to it. Doug Powell, a very warm welcome to the Bring Design Closer podcast. Thank you, Jerry. Great to be here. Delighted to have you here. Um, Doug, tell us where are you coming from today? I'm here in Austin, Texas, which is the home base of the global design program for IBM. The HQ. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be where you are today. Well, I've been a practicing designer for more than 30 years now, and I've been lucky enough to do many, many things as a designer. My roots are in graphic design, you know, early part of my career as a working graphic designer and studio owner, business owner, ran a small studio in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S., where I'm originally from, done a lot of teaching at the university level, and so very strong connections in the design education world. I've uh, worked with the U.S. Design Association known as AIGA, Professional Association for Design here in the U.S., which is uh, quite a big organization, uh, 25,000 members, and uh, ended up serving as the national president of AIGA between 2011 and 2013. In 2013, I I was, as that gig was kind of winding down, I was looking for my next my next opportunity and, and really looking to kind of turn the page in a pretty big way for myself and my career and my work. And at that time, IBM was just beginning to build the team that would grow this, this new program. And I was super intrigued by that idea and uh, joined IBM in the spring of uh, 2013. Well, we're going to chat a bit more about where IBM is at in that transformational journey but if you can remember the very first steps you took into the organization way back in june 2013 when you entered the business what did you see just a lot of challenges you know it was a it was a time for not only for ibm but for many businesses in enterprise technology where you know there were just a lot of challenges that the technology world was was changing ridiculously fast at that time and you know big kind of global legacy companies like IBM are not built for rapid change 
And so, you know, there was just a lot of concern around that, a lot of obviously many, many opinions about uh, how the company should respond. And, uh, you know, not a real sort of open arms to this newly arrived legion of designers that we were bringing in. You know, nobody at IBM was saying, oh, my God, you know what you know what we need right now? We need a couple thousand designers to come in and help us uh, (laughs) reinvent. Um, And so, you know, we had to work with that. We had to work with a very at best kind of an ambivalent reception and uh, certainly and sometimes a really sort of antagonistic one. Yeah. So where were they at at that in terms of design maturity at that stage? Oh, almost zero. I mean, this was a company at the time of about 400,000 people. And there were about 200 people at IBM who somewhere in their job title had the word design. They were scattered around the company. They had no connection to each other. There were no places where design was practiced, no studio spaces where you know, designers could do their work. There was no common practice of design. Uh, There was really no, there was no career path for designers. Uh, Anyone who was actually a, you know, a formally trained designer, you know, chances are they were kind of stuck in their career and didn't have a lot of chance for advancement as a designer along, you know, a a distinct career path. So, you know, it just wasn't fertile ground for design to happen. So whenever you walked in and you, you saw, okay, this is like a, you know a graveyard. There's not much going on here in terms of design maturity, especially. What has remained from then to now? Well, the other thing, if we rewind to uh, you know 2012, 2013, uh, our current chairman and CEO Ginny Rometty uh, took her role at the very end of 2011, and so you trace all of the early arrival of the design program in 2012 and 2013 really back to Ginny and Ginny sort of having an aha moment somewhere in there, somewhere in 2012, where she was like, you know, A, we're behind the game here. Experience, user experience is the new differentiator and we aren't built to create great user experiences in our current form. So we've got to change that. And B, there's a real opportunity because all of our competitors are equally, if not more, behind the game. And so we've got a chance, IBM has a chance to really differentiate itself in the, in the market, in the enterprise technology market. And, you know, she made a major investment in design starting at that moment. Yeah, she was the, the instigator, mm-hmm. so to speak, of the, of the entire movement. So if you had to um, say you met somebody who's, who's listening to this, perhaps, and they were looking to transform their organization and they were in a position of power like, like Jenny was at that stage and they didn't know how to go about it, what would you say to them? Well, one of the important things that we did at that moment was to establish the mission for the program. And the mission is to create a sustainable culture of design and design thinking at IBM. So, It's a very powerful mission, I think, and it was one of the things that really drew me to the program here. If you would have said, hey, our mission is to hire a couple thousand designers and get them to work on our apps and digital products, that wouldn't have been very interesting. (laughs) But when you think about that mission, it's about changing the culture of a century-old company. 
And that's a really cool idea, you know, to have that as the thing that's guiding us. That's really ambitious and that's really audacious. And that's something that I can buy into as a designer, as a creative professional. I can really get behind that. So what I would say to somebody, you know, just where we were six plus years ago is pay attention to the mission that you're setting for yourself and make sure that you, that it is a big one, you know, bite off something that you probably can't chew (laughs) and be ambitious about it. Yeah. So if you had to look at the last six years in terms of say an experience map, um, and like the first year, maybe you could just fill in the blanks for us. What do those six years look like? Oh, ups and downs. You know, I mean, certainly the um, the first year, twelve to eighteen months, was just a, a wild up and down roller coaster, which is um, unusual. <laughs> um, and you know what we found was that when we could get IBMers, and our first the first part of our mission was really to kind of get and to contact and and touch and get to know as many people in the company as we could. So we would bring them into the studio here in Austin, and we would give them an experience with design thinking, collaborating through that deeply connected experience of design thinking. We would get them in touch with our designers. And that was a real rush. I mean, that was a really fun experience and almost unanimously positive one when those ibmers would come in and they would have that experience they were just they were bought in so then you get on a just a real high you're just you're feeling great you're like this is awesome we're making a difference here and then those folks go back to their their day job and you know and then we step back and we look at the difference that we've actually made in that moment and we realize, oh, that's a drop in the bucket. This is a huge, huge company, and we've only touched whatever it was, 30 or 40 or 50 people. You know, that's not going to move the needle. So then you kind of come to a crushing <laughs> a crushing low. And there was a lot of that. I mean, there was just a lot of, you know, it, it took a lot of resilience in those early days for sure because, you know, as I said before, nobody was rolling out the red carpet for us. So you started to train those people and you started to roll out a program, I suppose, of capability uplift. How long did that take? And is it still going? Where are you at on that journey? Oh, it's absolutely still going. Uh, you know, it's it will probably always be <laughs> ongoing. The Golden Gate Bridge, kind of the guy who paints the yeah, Golden Gate Bridge. Right, right. Um, you know, a few things have happened. As I described in those early days, it was very hands-on the transformation, the the education of IBMers who are not formally trained designers to give them some experience with what design is all about, first of all, how they can use design thinking as a non-designer to replicate some of the methods of the designers use, and then how they can bring a, a focus on the user to their everyday work. And so we did that early on in a very hands-on way. Since then, we've found ways to scale that. We needed, in in such a big company, we need to go from touching a couple dozen people at a time to touching hundreds and thousands of people with this sort of 
transformative experience. Yeah, I read some of you use design badges and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where you, presumably, that that education has been rolled out digitally. Right, right, and and to be clear, that's our design thinking educational platform. So we're very clear about the difference between design, which is practiced by formally trained designers who have a deep craft and a deep training and design thinking which is a collaborative method which can be practiced by designers and non-designers and in fact requires non-designers to participate in it in order for it to be effective at all so you've got that cultural and that capability so the culture is the design thinking right and the capability is it's a different breed altogether. So staying on that topic a little bit longer, training non-designers to become design thinkers and and moving the design literacy of IBM, it's obviously been a very good thing. But what have you seen around that being disempowering for designers as regards non-designers, you know, becoming design thinkers? It it can be a difficult thing. So how do you encourage non-designers to think and behave independently while also maintaining some sort of design status quo? Yeah, we're just, we're very clear about what we're talking about when we talk about design thinking, you know, before that non-designer, that IBM or from wherever they might be from in our, across our business, before they have an experience with design thinking or at the very beginning of that experience, we're explaining, hey, we're not training you to be a designer. There are you know, many designers, formally trained designers in this company who, who do a very specific and play a, a highly valued role. That's not you. But we can help you through design thinking to glean you know, some of the, the approaches that a designer will use, a focus on the user, divergent thinking, prototyping, iteration, all of these sort of basic behaviors of design thinking, those can be used and, and can benefit anyone. And so we want to draw that distinction there with that non-designer so that they aren't, you know, leaving a design thinking training session thinking, hey, I don't need a designer. I've got, I know how to do this now. They certainly don't. Yeah. Well, that's great because, you know, I've seen in other places where people have been trained in design thinking and then they kind of go, well, actually, you know, we don't need a UX person on the team because we've done our two week design thinking course and now suddenly I'm equal. Like you're like a peer. Yeah. I I think it's been quite the opposite here. I think our emphasis on design thinking has elevated the appreciation for and the need for the formally trained designers. Uh, uh, typically, a cross-disciplinary team will leave our design thinking training sessions and they'll go back to their their home team and their first reaction is, how do we get more designers on our team? Because you know we just had our eyes opened at how this can transform our business and we've got to get better at it. Yeah, but we there's no problem with designers. From what I can see, you've got 1,500 designers in your in your in your remit at the moment. So you're obviously looking to scale that again. Well, at this point, uh, the scaling is is happening from the business. It's a it's the demand of the business. So it's it's not like I have a number or our leadership team here in, in the design program office that we have some number of X thousands of designers that we need to reach. It's really at this point up to the individual businesses across IBM. And there are now more than 20 fairly autonomous vertical businesses that are employing designers that it's their call. 
And for the most part, the trend and the trajectory is that those individual businesses are saying, we need more designers. So what are your thoughts on on long-serving designers in large organizations? And how do you prevent them from becoming institutionalized and losing their cutting edge and fresh perspectives? That's a good question. It will be interesting to to observe that over time. I don't think, you know, now six years into our program, I don't think we're at that point yet where we really have a lot of people, a lot of designers who are in that situation. I think there is a risk there. I guess one parallel to pay attention to is on the engineering side. You know, a parallel for us, a parallel technical career path that we can observe that's certainly been established here at IBM for much longer than design has. So when we look at our engineer peers, you know, you look at an engineer who's been working in the same IBM business or in the same domain space, say they're, uh, they're in our cybersecurity business and they've been there for, you know, 20 years or more. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing for the business yes. and for that person? Um, what are your thoughts on that? They, they, I mean, it's you can pro and con it. On one hand, they have outrageously deep domain expertise. And on the other hand, yeah, they get kind of institutionalized and they lose their edge and everything. You know, they've got tremendous blinders put up as a result of that. One of the great things that we see and that we try to enable for designers at IBM is the ability to move around the business fairly fluidly. In other words, a designer can be working, as I said, in our cybersecurity business for two or three or four years, can have a great experience there, develop a ton of domain expertise and do some great work, and then feel like, hey, I'm, I'm ready for a change. I love IBM. I don't want to leave the company, but I'm, I need a new challenge. They can go look make a transfer to our cloud division or our hardware systems division and do something that's very, very different still within the same company. So yeah. uh, that's, that's one of the things that we're trying to build when we, when we scale our program is that sort of fluid career experience. So what's your biggest challenge at the moment? I think our biggest challenge is elevating the um, output of our scaled teams. So, getting the level of craft to a world-class level across the board. We've certainly got some great examples of teams that are far above ahead of the pack doing amazing world-class work, but we've also got some teams that aren't quite there yet. And so whereas the the focus in the in the first 3 to 5 years was really getting to scale getting to the, the right number and ratio of designers across the business. Now we need to turn to getting those designers and those design teams to deliver the best possible experience they possibly can. So I've got a question here from the Slack channel from Brenda Lucena, who's in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And she says, I'm curious about Doug's opinion on the differences of implementing a design culture, brackets, and training people, comparing a company with engineering roots like IBM and a company more marketing-driven, like most of the consumer goods companies. Uh-huh. I've seen this work for J&J, so it'd be great to hear his point of view on that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, are a, um, we are an enterprise, business-to-business company. That's our explicit focus. Uh, we're not a consumer company. I think that we're in an era now where 
user experience has flooded the consumer businesses, right? Uh, there isn't a consumer business out there that isn't paying attention to user experience. Now we're in an era where design and user experience are being valued at a much higher level by enterprise companies like IBM. So how do we measure the value of our work? It's We've talked about this for decades in the, in the business. It's an impossible, there's no single number. There's no single me- uh, measurement or metric. And I don't think there ever will be because design never happens in isolation. It's always in the context of countless other factors. What we are trying to do is kind of micro-measure as many things as we can to string them together into and kind of create a, a narrative that includes multiple individual measurements. But when you step back and you take them as a whole, then they begin to they begin to give you clarity into the performance of that design team and the value that they're bringing. So we're looking at, think about things that we can measure. We can measure how many designers there are you know, in your business. We can measure how many other disciplines, how many engineers there are. So then we have a, a ratio to, to play with there. And we can begin to make some moves based on what we think the healthy ratio is to get to a higher performance. Just on what, what is the ratio at the moment? Uh, we've got a target ratio of one designer to eight coding developers. That's a very blunt number. It's sort of an average number for us. So there are some IBM businesses that will have a lower developer number, some that will have a higher one. This is sort of the, the starting point of a, of a discussion that gets us into, into a, a range that we can begin discussing with our business leaders. Okay. So we're, we're coming towards the end of the conversation, and um, I'm going to tap into a little bit more of Doug Powell's wisdom, <laughs> as is what I'm calling this. So what advice would you give to organizations globally who are starting out in this journey right now? Well, I would, I would, as I said earlier, I would pay attention to that mission. I would start small. One of the, if you peel back the backstory of our program, we started with seven projects originally in 2013. That gave us a chance to see how they went, to get them staffed right, to work through a complete work cycle and release cycle with those projects, and then to evaluate them. And we could never have done that had we tried to overscale right out of the gate. So starting small is, a, is important. It's a good one. So with those projects, were they intersecting or were they like, you know, was there some clear delineation between the verticals? Or For the most part, they were drawn from all over the business. So there was not a lot of intersection among them. And, you know, we, you know, we worked closely with the sponsoring executives on those projects, made sure that they were fully committed to what we were doing. And, you know, a lot of conditions needed to be in place for us to actually select a project. And so that, that, that needs to be part of the, part of the process too, is to be very selective and very clear about what you're, what you're choosing. All right. And where do you see patterns or design trends emerge over the next 12 to 18 months in terms of skills and industry and so forth? I I think we're starting to get the first wave of 
design leaders who have grown up in the profession, that who are rising to real legitimate levels of leadership in big, complex companies and organizations. And that's exciting to me. So uh, previously and until now, you know, we've been sort of importing leaders, <laughs> borrowing leaders from different disciplines or different backgrounds. And now we're actually seeing designers who've been in user experience organizations uh, for 10, 12, 15 years who are now getting to a point in their career where they're leading businesses. They're really in a, a, an elevated level of influence in big companies. And I, th- I, think, I think we're going to see more and more of that in the next five years. Yeah, great. Doug, I always ask three questions to my guests and you're no different. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the first question. Um, what's the one thing that you wish you were able to banish from the industry? <laughs> I love the laugh. Yeah. You're like, oh. <laughs> um, what is the one thing I, can we come back to that? Can we do that at the end? Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll go back to, I'll ask you the second okay. one. Uh, might be a little bit easier. Um, what's the one professional skill that you wish you were better at? Maybe not actually when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was, uh, you know, I don't come from a technical background and, I, and I'm working in a very technical company where your technical knowledge is, is valued and it, it's part of the sort of cred in our company. And I, I, I don't have a deep technical background. So I wish I was better at that. It could be your superpower, though, as well, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a generous way to, to turn it around. But, uh, but I, I, I certainly, uh, yeah, <laughs> I certainly wish for a, a little bit more uh, than I have. Well, the next time you're asked about your technical knowledge, just go, well, Jerry said it was a superpower. <laughs> that's right. Like, who, who's Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this podcast. <laughs> All right. And the last one, and I'm going to go back to the first one. What is the advice that you give to emerging design talent for the future? I advise them to have humility and to, you know, to approach non-designers with a great deal of empathy and with the interest of, of building trust. It's something that, you know, we've hired so many young designers here for whom this experience at IBM is their first job, their first real career job. And they need to go to work, you know, with an engineer who's been working in the company for 25 years, you know, who knows everything (laughs) about everything. So how do you do that? And so we really work closely with those young designers to, to just have humility, have respect and to build trust with those non-designer. Yeah. And there's a great case study I saw in one of your design ops with Carl Burnett. And I was chatting to you before. Uh, um, Carl Burnett is going to be my, one of my superheroes and my reference points. I, I'm going to, I'm going to nick that video. So I'll find it, but it's a fantastic case study of, of how you changed a cynic into, you know, I don't know what the phrase is, but someone who's a champion of design. <laughs> um, so I'll include that in the show notes as well, yeah. but let's go back. You're not getting off that lightly. I want to go back to the first question. <laughs> and um, What would you banish from the industry? Come on, Doug, be brutal. 
I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I would banish is power cords for all of my devices because I'm sitting here as we're talking, looking at the uh, the battery percentage on my laptop going progressively down into the danger zone. Oh, no. <laughs> so, and I and I carry around. I travel a lot, so I'm I'm always carrying around just uh, batteries, batteries, and cables and adapters, and it's ridiculous. It's a stupid user experience. It must be changed. Doug, I'll let you off with that one, um, but I'll get you next time on uh, what, what you really want to banish from the industry. <laughs> okay. uh, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much. You too, Jerry. Thank you. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to Bringing Design Closer. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is Hate CD network, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered design practitioners around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye.